We're in week two of our series on uh, defining manhood and womanhood. And uh, eventually we'll get to how marriage plays into that as well. Uh, if you missed last week, I encourage you to, to uh, go online and listen. Uh, you can get the notes as well from last week. And there's another note sheet in your bulletin this morning. There's some on the back table extras if you don't have one. Uh, go ahead and sneak back there and grab one. Hopefully that will, uh, that will help you through as we, as we track through this morning what is, uh, is going to be uh, still a little bit of, uh, um, well, it's going to be a little bit academic, all right? Uh, but these first couple messages just need to be that way so that we can uh, deal thoroughly with the issue. Uh, but just because we are in the midst of what seems a little bit academic, you know, we're going to be looking at um, some detail stuff here. and We're, we're kind of finishing up laying the foundation from last week and we're going into transitioning into the real issues. Uh, please understand that we are not doing this series so that you have more information. Okay? We're not doing this series simply so that you have more information. We're doing this series, and it occurred to me as we were singing uh, throughout this morning, that we are trying to show you who our God is. You know, as we sing these songs, we're hoping that, that this morning you've, you've understood a little clearer who our God is, and it just blows you away. Maybe in a way that it, that it hasn't up till today. I hope in this series that each, each Sunday, God's perfect, intentional, sovereign design in men, women, marriage throughout, uh, from the church to the home, I, I pray that, that this big God blows you away. And He causes you in these services as we go through His Word to just kind of hang your head every now and then and say... I can't believe that he, that he hit it at every point. He didn't miss a single thing. He didn't miss a single thing. There's nothing he didn't think about. There's no area he hasn't covered. So I hope as we go through this, even when, even when you start to feel bogged down just by information, which you may, that you hang on. All right? Men, Father's Day, can I give you just a little encouragement today? Press in. All right. I asked you at the beginning of last week to to take the attitude of a scholar if you never have before, if you're just here and you hope you get a little, you know, a little bit of information, uh, you know, just a little, you know, word for that Sunday and you can go about your business the rest of the week. Take the attitude of a scholar so that you see your God even clearer and he impacts your life. We all need to leave here changed, all right? So let's dig in, all right? So last week we began by laying some groundwork. I gave you five things to keep in mind as we uh, move through our subject matter. You remember I listed them in our notes as five things I need to say before I really say anything. Uh, then we spent most of our time, and our primary intent was, uh, was to impress upon you the foundational truth that men and women are both God's image bearers, right? Just like Preston's prayer earlier. Men and women, we are both God's image bearers. And there is a dignity to that, right? I mean, there's a dignity that comes along with that honor that we get to be God's image bearers here on earth. In Corinthians, it says that God, uh, that, that God displays his glory in men. That's what Preston was alluding to when he prayed that we're supposed to be that glory here on earth. We're supposed to fill the earth with God's glory. There's a dignity to us having the responsibility and the, and the honor of bearing God's image here on earth. 
both men and women alike. We said it this way. Men and women, and I put this in your notes for today, men and women, since creation, are of equal value and of equal worth. That was our goal last week, that you, that you got that. That was our foundational message. Then we spent the final minutes really introducing today's primary goal, which is to say that uh, although men and women, or man and woman, are equal in value and worth, they are not unqualifiably equal. In other words, we're equal, but we're, we're not the same, right? We're equal, but we're, we're not the same. And that is, that is certainly by design. And therefore, it must be good. It must be good. It must be right. Now, I want to make this... Make this uh, I want to help this to make practical sense in your heart and mind this morning. So, so you understand what all of this means, all right? Uh, to argue that we are made and used in ways that are not the same, men and women, will lay the groundwork for us then to say that the concept of men leading and women submitting is biblically accurate and not just archaic. And when I say archaic, that alludes to the position that is taken by many. One of the basic arguments against our position, namely that our stance that men have a lead role to play and women have a helping and submissive role to play is an outdated way of thinking. And modern man needs to grow up in his, in his wisdom and understanding and now we can move on from such prehistoric chauvinistic thinking. All right? that, that's, the, that's the line against us. Uh, I'll deal with that line of thinking and many other objections uh, to the conservative evangelical stance, as it were, another day. In fact, I think we may spend a whole day just looking at what are their best, what are their best shots they can take at us, right? Because I think that's fair. What are their best shots, and then let's give a, the best answers we have to them. So we'll probably spend a whole day answering some of those questions. But today, and actually for the next, uh, for today and next week, because we'll make this a two-part message. Understand that these two messages, this week and next week, are really the swing messages for this whole series. Okay? They're really the swing messages. Last week was the foundational message. We just laid some groundwork. You needed to know and you needed to understand. We both bear the image of God. We're equal in our value. We're equal in our worth. You needed that foundation. This week and the next, uh, we're going to get right into the thick of the issue. And, and most of the rest of what we need to say will actually stem from these two messages. All right? And they'll both really make just one point. So if you get this, here's what I'm saying. If you get this one point over the next two weeks that we'll make in two parts, if you get this one point, you'll be well on your way to having a handle on this whole, this whole situation. Okay? So hang on. Uh, so, foundational message last week. Men and women since creation are of equal value and equal worth. And that is, I think, one of God's amazing accomplishments in the very first verses of all of Scripture. That he can communicate to us this equal value and equal worth. That he puts that initial priority on that. And that alone displays not an unfair or a haphazard creator, but an intentional and benevolent Father God, right? I mean, we see intentionality in our God. We see T's crossed and I's dotted. All right, so the swing point is this. We are equal, but we're not the same. All right, last week we established that we're equal in some ways. This week we need to deal with the fact that we are equal in some ways, but we're not equal in all ways. 
We are equal, but not the same. And that, that's our goal for this morning and next week. We're going we're to make two messages to make that point. So let's say it this way. Here's the notes, uh, the goal for your notes. It's, it's that we are, we're hoping to grasp the goodness in God's design by seeing that equality in worth and value does not require sameness between man and woman. And you remember one of the first things I said to you last week is that wording matters and phrasing matters here, okay? So I'm being very intentional in what I'm saying. Let me read that again. To grasp the goodness in God's design by seeing that equality in worth and value does not require sameness between man and woman. All right, so we're going to spend two weeks on this point because uh, I found that there are, really, there are really two ways to make the point. And frankly, I couldn't figure out which point to make first or which angle to preach first to make this point. So uh, I'm not going to tell you what next week angle is. All right. Uh, If you're on point this morning, you're probably going to figure out what next week angle is because it's going to be in everything we say this morning. It's going to be there. But I'm going to hold off and I'm going to make it next week because, uh, you know, we'll spell it out. And I, I just think it deserves its own time in the discussion. So we said last time, and you'll remember, that there are, in fact, two accounts in Genesis of creation, right? Remember this? Genesis 1, we looked at last week. The first in Genesis 1, we saw. And then the second is in Genesis 2, which we'll briefly examine this morning. Chapter 2 is, if you want to think about it, chapter 2 is the zoom lens teaching of the story, right? It's the zoom lens teaching of creation. Chapter 2, in fact, is where the New Testament will go directly back to any time they want to teach on marriage, the home, or how men and women relate in the church. They go back to chapter 2. So it's an important chapter. Right? Uh, chapter 1, a general account. Chapter 2, a specific account. Chapter 1, we are equal. Chapter 2, but not the same. All right? Uh, I am... I've got to say this, continually amazed by God's word, nothing is by mistake. And I, I've been, you've been hearing this kind of just leak out of me this morning already. Uh, nothing that we read here, as I get into Genesis 1, 2, 3 through 5, nothing is by mistake. Not the principles, not the points, not the words themselves, uh, the authors who wrote them. Uh, to those, these words are addressed right down to the very order in which... The stories are laid out. God leaves nothing, nothing to chance. There's a reason Genesis chapter 1 is before Genesis chapter 2. There's a reason we talked about Genesis chapter 1 last week. We laid that foundation before we get into the swing message this week of Genesis chapter 2. Uh, Let me be plain as to what the difference is here that uh, really we must face. You know it as, if you've been around church very long, you know it. Uh, as the headship of man and the submission of woman, right? And that's the difference that we're going to make our way to. And that's where we're going. I want you to know that there is no attempt at being sly here, right? We're not avoiding that by just talking about difference right now. We're going to get to the specifics later. There's no sleight of hand. So when we talk about being equal but not the same, you know where we're going with that. We're going to this headship submission issue, all right? I just want to tell you right up front. Because that's really where the rub comes down in our culture today. That's the problem they have with the conservative evangelical church. It's the issue of headship and submission. All right? So I'll just be clear, that's where we're going. 
And uh, we'll be in that argument with both feet by next week. The amazing thing about chapter 2 is that it holds both equality and difference. Both equality and difference in really a perfect tension. All right? And by tension, I don't mean a negative thing. You can think of it in terms of balance. Chapter 2 holds these two things that are both there and true in perfect balance or tension. So watch this. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. We'll walk through the story and then we'll make a few points and then we'll finish it up next week. All right, so here we go. Verse 7 says this. Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed... And, and paint a picture with this, okay? Paint a picture of what's happening here in your head, in your, in your mind's eye. Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Had God formed animals from the ground? Yeah, he did that. That, that is not uh, unique. What's unique in, in the account is, is this idea that after forming man with his hands, he, he actually breathed his own breath into him. That's not said of any other part of creation. Man gets that, man gets that distinction. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then in the midst of all his prior creation, right? Because we're on day six here, but we're zoom lensing in. In the midst of all his prior creation, he whipped up this garden of perfection in the next verse. We know it is Eden, and he placed Adam in the middle of it. Now look at the description here. Verse 8 through 15, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 through 15, it reads like this. And I just want to give you pieces of it here. The Lord God planted a garden now toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four rivers. Fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. To cultivate it and to keep it. So God forms man. And in the midst of this whole world of creation that he already has out there, he creates this, this haven, if you will, this, this perfect garden, this place of provision and protection, this home base for Adam. And, and he plops him right down in the middle of it. Now look at what he says here. Verse 16 and 17. Adam gets a dual command. You enjoy it? Enjoy it. That's command number one. Eat freely of everything. Look at all that I've made for you here just in the Garden of Eden. Forget about the rest of the creation. Just here in the Garden. Adam, it's yours. Enjoy. Command number one. The second command is what? But there's just this one tree. Stay away from it. Don't eat from it. All this, good. This one, don't, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Uh, by the way, uh, are we all right with that? Do we, do we have a problem with that? Yeah, of course we do. We don't like to be told no, right? All this, yes, good. 
All of it. This one thing over here. Don't mess with this. Why not? It's, it's the four-year-old mentality, right? But what about that one? I know there's millions of others, but I want that one. Do we have a problem with that? Certainly we have a problem with that. Should we have a problem with it? No. <laughs> it makes no sense, right? That the sovereign creator of all things says, look at, look at everything. Enjoy it. Stay away from this. We should say, great, forget that. Look at this. Uh, more on that later, because that is essentially the root of a whole lot of our problems. All right? So we'll come back to that. So that is the scene. Uh, man is shaped by the hands of God. Are you getting that picture? Man is shaped by the hands of God and breathed life into. He's given a perfect garden of protection and provision amidst a greater creation that we've already been told he is to subdue and rule over. So original first five and a half days of creation, uh, God makes all this stuff. You rule it and you subdue it. Okay, that's your job. All right. Then God makes this perfect little home base garden. He doesn't have to work in there. That's his safe haven. He can come back there and everything's groomed nicely. Fruit just falls off the tree. Uh, are you getting are you getting this? Adam actually had a job, right? He actually had a job in creation way before the fall. Uh, he wasn't just supposed to hang around the Garden of Eden, fanning himself with a palm leaf, popping grapes in his yapper. Okay? He had a job. This was home. He was to go out and subdue the rest of the earth. He was to be fruitful. No wonder he was supposed to multiply because what a big job. Right? What a big job he had. Stay away from that one tree. So you see the setup Adam has here? He's got a good deal, right? He's got a good deal. Verse 18, we find something odd, however. After all those statements that sound a little something like this, and God saw that it was good, right? Remember those? And God saw that it was good. He made this, and God said, that's great. He made this. This is good. After all those statements, verse 18 is an odd, an odd verse. Because now, after, after this perfect garden he's made, he's plopped Adam right down in the middle of it, breathed breath into his nostrils. God looks around and he says, ah, yeah, something, something's just not right. Something is missing. Okay? Something's, something's missing. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now notice, however, notice, however, what God did next. Did he make him next a suitor? No. Did he make what we know to be woman next? No, that's not what he did. He does something odd here. He does something odd. He marched all the animals in front of Adam. Marched all the animals in front of Adam. And it says that God waited to see what Adam would call the animals. Very interesting. Verse 20 says that Adam did just that, but in the end he realized something. You see it, verse 20? There was not found a helper suitable for him. It's as if there were auditions of all these animals. God says, something's not right. He needs a partner out here. He needs something else uh, suitable for him as a helper. 
And so God marches all these animals by, and it's not that God thinks one of these animals is going to do, but he needs Adam to realize that one of these animals will not do. And he says, Adam, once you name them, and he names them, uh, one commentator put it this way. The task of naming the animals entailed more than slapping an arbitrary label on each beast. The task required that man consider each animal thoughtfully so that its name was appropriate to its particular nature. Out of this exercise, it began to dawn on the man that there was no creature in the garden that shared his nature. He discovered not only his unique superiority over the beasts, which the privilege of naming them in itself implied, he also discovered that his own solitude was great. We may surmise that an aching longing welled up within the man for the companionship of another creature on his level. See, there, there wasn't anything in creation on the same level as Adam. God knew this. Now Adam knows this. After he surveys the whole lot of them. God is very wise. He sets Adam up for something amazing right here. Now watch this. Adam has now some perspective by which to appreciate what God will do next. You get that? He marches all these animals by, he names them, he evaluates them. None of them will do. There was not found a helper suitable for him. Now he has a new perspective, and what God is going to do next is going to be much appreciated by Adam. Because he gets it. There's not anyone out there on the same level as me. So here's what happens. Verse 21. Uh, Adam, lay down, take a nap. Why? Just do it, listen. Taken out. That's my version. It says that God uh, caused a sleep to come over Adam. He lays down, takes a nap. Verse 21. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. God performs, uh, right here, the first recorded surgery of all time. Okay? Uh, he uses some sort of anesthesia, apparently, way before Crawford Long got a hold of it. Uh, slipped out the rib, sewed him back up, and then it says that God went to work. Verse 22. Fashioning into a woman, the rib which he had taken from man. So I just get the, this picture of, of God, of all creation, pulling up a stump now while Adam is still laid out. He's got him sewed back up now. He's got a rib out. And the God of all creation is fashioning from this rib, from the side of this man. He's fashioning a woman that he's taken from the man. God finishes making a perfectly suitable creature for Adam. He wakes Adam up and he says, check this out, Adam. Verse 22 ends with uh, the first ever wedding service. You see that? This is the first ever wedding service. And guess who's giving away the bride? The father. And God, verse 22 ends, brought her to the man. Then in verse 23, we get the first... Human words, ever. You see this? And check this out. They're, they're poetry. Sorry, guys. Adam sees woman, and he starts spitting poetry right here. You got no excuse. He sees what God's made, and he's, he's overwhelmed. He actually goes into like this celebration of relief, Right? Because he's just seen that there's no, no, other, no other creature suitable for him. But now, there is. Look what it says, verse 23. 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The man perceives the woman not as his rival, but as his partner, not as a threat because of her equality with himself, but as the only one capable of fulfilling his longing within. Verse 24, Moses tells us that this is in fact why from then on men and women would pair off. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. You'll hear that again in the New Testament. It'll be clarified. Incidentally, uh, what do you do if you throw out creation? So what do you do? <laughs> what do you do if, if, you, if you go to an alternate system? And this is just a free side little ditty here. What do you do? What do you do with manhood? What do you do with the dignity of marriage? What do you do with womanhood? If you throw out creation for a system like evolution, if none of this is is true, what do you do? You have no basis for anything else that we're going to talk about. Remember what I said? The New Testament goes where? For its truth on the creation and the equality of manhood and womanhood and the role distinctions and variations and differences and how men and women are to relate in marriage, how men and women are to relate in the church, uh, etc., etc. Where does the New Testament go? Where does Jesus go? Where does Paul go? They go, they go Genesis 2. <laughs> what do you do if you get rid of this? Uh, things just start to implode. All right? So just think about that. Think about that. All right. Verse 25 caps off the creation account here with a reminder of the perfection in which Adam and Eve first came together. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Imagine that. Uh, more on this later, but they felt no shame because they had nothing to hide. They lived in perfect integrity together. And we'll deal with that later. So that's the story. Now let me point out a few of the paradoxes within the story. Okay? Places where we see the equality of worth and value in tension with the obvious differences between man and woman. And all this will really just get us ready for next week. But let, me, let me give you a few things here. Number one of our paradoxes. God said he would make a, quote, helper suitable for Adam. All right? On the one hand, follow me here. On the one hand, the woman alone... The woman alone, out of all the creatures, was suitable for man. See the elevation there? See the dignity? She alone was Adam's equal. A man can enjoy a form of companionship, one, one commentator said, with an animal, but only on an animal's level. With a wife, a man finds companionship on his own level, for she is his equal. Now, on the other side of the paradox, now check this out. That's on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, the woman is man's helper. Okay? The man was not created to help the woman, but the reverse. So was Eve Adam's equal? Yes and no. She was his spiritual equal and, unlike the animals, perfectly suitable for him. Because she was on his direct level. She was from his side. But she was not his equal in that she was 
his helper. His helper and his helper. Okay? Number two. Second paradox. The paradox of Genesis 2 is also seen in the fact that the woman was made from the man. All right? Indicating her equality once again. She was taking from his side. And I think there's some symbolism there. You don't have to stretch it too far. God could have taken any bone he wanted. I think there's some symbolism there that he took woman from his side. Not from the bottom of his foot or the top of his head. Okay? I think there's some symbolism there. But she was also not just made from the man. She was for the man. All right? Inferring her inequality. Notice God did not make Adam and Eve from the ground at the same time. Or for one another without distinction. Right? He didn't make them both at the same time for one another without any distinctions. He didn't do that. Neither did God make the woman first and then the man from the woman. He didn't make the woman first and then the man from the woman. He could have created them in either of those ways, right? Very easily, but he didn't. You see the, you see the tension there? Number three. Another indication of the paradox is that Adam celebrates Eve as his equal. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Yet he also names her. The fact that you had the right to name gives you authority. She shall be called woman. God charged the man with naming the creatures and gave him the freedom to exercise his own judgment in each case. In doing so, Adam brought the earthly creation under his dominion. This royal prerogative extended to Adam's naming of even his helper. Nevertheless, the name he gives her Woman springs from his instantaneous recognition of her as a counterpart, an equal to man. You see that? Last one. God didn't explain. Did you notice this? God didn't explain to the woman who she was in relation to the man. Although he could have done that. That's not the account. He wakes Adam up. And he gives her to him. He allowed Adam to define the woman in keeping with Adam's headship. Adam's sovereign act not only arose out of his own sense of headship, it also made his headship clear to Eve. Right? She found her own identity in relation to the man as his equal and helper by the man's very defining of her. You see the both? The equality and the role and the difference? All right. Let's stop there. Next week, we're going to come at this from a little bit different angle. And I think this idea that we are equal but there is a difference will become clear. And it will become clear in a good way to help us to see the goodness in God's design, as we said was our goal at the beginning of this, right? Uh, let me wrap up by saying this, and this is the last note on your page. God creates inequalities in life and in humans on purpose. You get that? Uh, that's kind of the whole direction we're going with these messages. God creates inequalities 
in life in general and among humanity actually on purpose. And it's a good thing. It's according to divine design, and that by definition is ideal and best. Uh, listen, to, listen to what one pastor said. God has no intention of blurring sexual distinctness in the interests of equality in an unqualified sense. He's got no, God's got no desire to blur those lines of sexuality and make us indistinct sexually. Okay? It's not his goal. In fact, there are many areas of life in which God has no intention of leveling out the distinctions between us. Consider the obvious, he says. God does not value intellectual or aesthetic equality among people, does he? He does not value equality in finances, talents, or opportunity. It is God who deliberately ordains inequalities in many aspects of our lives. Do you get that? Listen, when I was born, I had certain abilities, capabilities. I was going to have a certain lot in life. God, God knows this. I had certain athletic abilities. I had certain academic abilities. Other people were born and they had more and some had less. And that's okay. And God, in fact, the one who shapes us, the one who forms us, knows that is the case. And he actually uses that to paint the story that he wants to paint. To paint the portrait of humanity that best displays who he is and best helps us to understand who he is. All right? All right, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we've got a lot to absorb. We've got a lot to absorb. We've gone from, in chapter 1, hearing that uh, men and women, we have a shared dignity that we image you. What an honor we have. And then as we focus in into chapter 2, uh, we realize that uh, our equality does not mean that we're exactly the same. Next week as we go even deeper, Father, I pray that you, uh, you would give us clarity. You'd give us clarity in the matter. Because really, as I said in the beginning, Father, it's not just a... It's not just a bunch of information. It actually matters. It actually, when we add it all up, makes a difference in the kind of man that I am, the kind of woman that my wife is. It makes a difference in the kind of father that I am, uh, the kind of mother that my wife is. It makes a difference in the kind of husband or wife that we are. It makes a difference in the, in the person we are here on earth working for your kingdom. It makes a difference when it comes to the portrait that our families and our homes paint before all of creation to see your glory. Father, it makes a difference. Your glory, your glory is, uh, or at least the clarity of it, is somewhat at stake as we understand these truths. Would you help us? Would you give us discernment and wisdom? Would you give us discernment and wisdom? Lord, I pray that this, uh, this series and this teaching would act as a fertilizer in our midst, that it would keep weeds from growing up. Father, that the truth would 
not only set us free, but keep us free. Keep us on the uh, straight and the narrow path that we might accomplish all that we can in the short amount of time that's left before you call this thing to an end. That your glory might be obvious among your people. That the world might see that we serve a good and a, a holy and a generous, a kind, a benevolent, a long-suffering and a patient God that has made every way. You've done all that you can do. Oh, that we would be that kind of display before the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. Before we do that, I want to make a couple of... uh, couple of formal announcements and uh, I'm pretty particular about when I make announcements and to make an announcement at the end of a message before the closing song and uh, what could be a a moment where uh, God is speaking to you uh, I don't take that lightly so I want to say to you that I don't just throw these announcements in here because we got to we got to get them done Uh, I put them here because I am so grateful to be giving you these announcements I am uh, I have been praising God uh, for some not some time now because of these. And so I pray that they are uh, they're a comfort to your heart. I pray that they encourage you uh, to love Him even more because He's moving in our midst. He's moving in our midst. Uh, many of you know that last Sunday was uh, Rusty Benford's last Sunday with us as youth and children's uh, minister. And uh, we've been working for some time, as we have known that's coming, uh, toward what direction to go next. Our elders have uh, met and prayed extensively about this. And uh, it has become apparent to us that God is, in fact, raised, raised up in our very midst uh, the folks who can fill that gap. Okay? All right? Um, and I'm giving you a short version here. But uh, this morning I want to I let you know that uh, our elders uh, have recognized uh, in regards to youth ministry that uh, Brother Radley King will be taking the uh, place of our Director of Youth Ministry, and he'll be filling that gap. And uh, we're excited that God is, uh, we're not just plugging him in there, that God is raising him up to do that. All right? In much the same way, uh, our elders have recognized that uh, in regards to children's ministries, and we're going to expand that, I'll tell you about that in just a second, but in regards to children's ministries, uh, Brother Wayne Jolly, God has put him on our heart and has put this passion in his heart to be director of our children's ministries. Uh, We're going to add to that responsibility, not just children's ministries, but family ministry. So Wayne will be serving us as director of children and family ministries. And I'll explain what family ministries means uh, down the road a little clearer. Uh, But uh, I'm just so excited that that God, uh, God saw all this coming and he didn't leave us empty handed. He knew exactly where we'd be, and he had been raising men up to fill these gaps all along. Uh, So I'm excited to to communicate that to you. I hope you would encourage them. We're going to offer, the elders would like to offer to you, just as we did with Ms. D a couple weeks ago. Uh, This is not in our bylaws, but we'd like to say to you, because you know both of these gentlemen, uh, you have a week to communicate to us if there's a red flag that you know of in these men's life why, why either of them cannot serve, uh, cannot or should not serve in either of these capacities, please let us know. 
we don't expect that to be the fact, but because you know them, we feel uh, it would be due diligence just to say that to you, that you could give uh, feedback to us, uh, even if you'd like to commend them to us over the next week. We'll make it official next week, all right? I don't expect to hear anything because one of these men is already serving as an elder and one is uh, in his 30-day time period uh, to become an elder, all right? So I'm excited about that. A couple of announcements related to that. This Wednesday, Wayne is going to be having a meeting at his home at 630 uh, to meet with all of the children's workers uh, from the children's ministry team and anyone who volunteers in the children's ministry or anyone who has a passion or a desire to contribute toward the children's ministry. If you have ideas about what direction our children's ministry needs to go, Wayne would like to hear it and he'd like to share some of his ideas. It's going to be a brainstorming kind of meeting where we get all the ideas out there and then he begins to lead that team and that ministry in the direction of deciding where we're going to go. Okay, And so this Wednesday night, 6.30, at Wayne and Kerrigan's house, they're going to host that. They're going to have food, child care. You go to their house, and uh, you're going to get a lot done there. Okay, If you need directions, uh, see Wayne, or you can see me at the end of service. Next Sunday, Brother Radley is going to be doing the same exact thing with our youth ministry volunteers and ministry team. Okay, He's going to have you all together. You're going to meet right here after church next Sunday, and he's going to say, where do we want to go? Who's in this thing? Who's halfway in? Who's all the way in? Who do we need to get involved so that we can have a viable and effective youth ministry in our community? All right? And he's going to help that team to figure out which way we're going to be going in ministry. All right? So I'm extremely excited about that. Uh, finally, Miss D, come on up. Vic, come on up with her. Uh, I announced to you two weeks ago that uh, Miss D uh, has felt led to step up into some sort of role to volunteer as uh, uh, children's... Not children's, I'm sorry. Is that it? Am I speaking from the Lord? No, it's not it. Uh, grab that mic behind you as well, Deep, if you would like to say anything. Uh, in the role of women's ministries. And our elders have been talking about this for a long time. Come on all the way up. All the way up. Uh, we've been talking about this for a long time and uh, announced to you last week that we, we would like to recommend her to you as our new uh, director of women's ministries. And uh, Dee, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is there anything you just feel led to share? I mean, I know there's a whole lot going on. Dee has been praying about this ministry for a long time. So I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything you'd like to share with our ladies about, about what God's putting on your heart for this ministry? Now you have to say something. Amen. I really been praying. Nope, listen. Go. I've really been praying about the direction God wants for this ministry to go, and it's going to be a purposeful ministry. We're not just going to do things just to do something. I don't want it to be activity-based or let's just get together type thing, but everything's going to have a foundation, a motive to start out on the ground floor and to build up from that. And the primary purpose, and what, and just to give you an idea of my heart and how I pray, so you can even be praying for me. It's a, a ministry to be able to minister, to speak life into the women of the church, into the mothers of the church, into our upcoming women, that you'll know what God's purpose is for you, what God wants to do in and through you, so that it'll be a ministry to move out into your families, into your family, uh, your relatives, where you work, and for it to be an extension of yourselves. Now, he did not give me an opportunity to prepare, so if that doesn't make any sense, you can just see me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's great. That's great. And sometimes we just want it right from the heart. So, uh, 
thank you very much. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to sing our final song. Preston, just uh, what song do we have? Here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. And uh, I'm going to ask Dee and Vic to sit down here. And if you would like to come up during this next song and pray over Dee, uh, I'd love for you to do that. Ladies especially, uh, those of you who have been touched by, uh, by Dee's uh, comfort and counsel already, please come up and pray a word over her. And, uh, and we'll dismiss at the end. Preston, will you pray and dismiss us and, 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 and pray for Dee as well? Sure. All right. Yeah. Why don't you stand with us?